millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new Black Magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic. And we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey, welcome to Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Matt Barber and Michelle Santoro. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enloe. Today we've got Zach Lepofsky and Adam Stein. They're the duo behind Freaks, a new movie out on VOD today. If you missed it in theaters, you can check it out now on VOD it's a cool sci-fi thriller, kind of genre-bending mashup sort of story, and it's um, from two really exciting filmmakers who have like a long journey. I feel like that's a theme that we're still hitting away on, still really enjoying here on the show. But like their whole experience in making the film and then selling it, you know, pretty successfully and like finding a home in theaters is a great story about basically just kind of going back to basics and like sticking to it. Yeah. Figuring out what what does it take to make a movie and just going for it. These guys are super have like super amazing resumes. Adams directed for Jimmy Kimmel. Zach was a producing director on a TV show for Disney. They've done so much, but what really inspired them was one speech, the speech from Mark Duplass at of, the South by South keynote a couple of years ago. Yeah, and that's what got them off their butts and had them make their own movie that turned into. This movie, Freaks, which has an awesome cast, Brewster and Emil Hirsch, Amanda Crew from Silicon Valley, and a new actress, young actress, that sounds really good. We talk about how they auditioned her, how they found her, how they made this movie, and how they met, which is, to me, the most fascinating part of it all. Yeah, spoiler, it was on a TV show. Yeah, like that they were on. Not as actors, but as directors. So that might give away a little bit of what that show was, but... Yeah, uh, listen up because it's it's real interesting. It is a wild ride, and the other really cool thing about these two is that while they're living the indie dream, the indie fairy tale, they're also still working directors, and they really personify that kind of double life that we're all hoping to lead, where you get to have your cake and eat it too. They're making TV shows, they're directing stuff all the time as work for hire directors, but also still making time for their passion projects, and those are the things that, as we all know, really pay off, and they are living proof of how their passion projects have elevated their careers time and again. And on a side note, and I swear it's totally unrelated to the fact that they're on this podcast, but Zach's company, Shotlister, uh, he created an app that helps you keep track of your shot lists on set. 
which was actually an unpaid endorsement by a previous guest of ours, Ben Giroux. They had sponsored our show, unrelated to this this interview, but I asked Zach today if people could still get free copies of Shotlister. So if you're listening to this episode and you are interested in trying out this app, which is not inexpensive, you can get it from Mac OS, iOS, or Android. You can email justshootitpod at shotlister.com and just tell them what version of the app you want. You'll get it for free. So pretty cool thing for our listeners. Pretty cool. It was I funny. convinced Zach to keep going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was legitimately funny. Like we got an email from a, their PR person that was like, hey, do you know these two cool filmmakers, Zach Lepofsky? And we were like, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then I saw the creative screenwriting. You know, Jeffrey Goldsmith was doing a screening of their movie. Like they kind of made the rounds very much with their movie, not to mention it premiered at TIFF and, you know, all these other cool things. So anyway, it's a really cool conversation. I learned a lot. My favorite thing was about how they auditioned that little girl and how they found her. I thought that's uh, definitely something I will steal. Unorthodox for sure. Love it. Yeah. Before we talk to them, we're going to tell you about our Patreon real quick. If you go to patreon.com slash just shoot a pod, you can find out more about our Patreon and why we're doing it. But it's basically a way that our listeners, if they feel like they're getting something out of the show, if they're regular, if you're a regular listener, if you listen to us every Thursday when we upload a new episode and you want to help us out to pay our editors and everyone else and just kind of give us a little bit of litmus test that people are listening and people are excited about the show and people want us to keep making it, then check it out. You can give a dollar a month. If you give $10, even for only one month, you'll get a Just Shoot It podcast hat that you can wear. I, I like to think of it as you're buying snacks for our guests. The snack budget is not insignificant. Yes. Kara, uh, my wife, keeps reminding me of that. <laughs> well, keep, keep us some pita chips and dark chocolate, everybody. And some wine every once in a while. <laughs> well, guys, thanks so much for making it out here. Let's talk about Freaks just kind of off the bat, yeah? Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, I mean, Freaks has been kind of our passion project for the last five or six years between writing it and, and getting it financed, getting it made, getting it finished, and then getting it into theaters has been kind of an epic journey. And Can you give us the long It's line? sort of overwhelming. Yeah, I mean, Freaks is about a seven-year-old girl who spent her whole life inside of this one house because her father says, if you ever go outside, people will kill you or they'll kill both of us. And so at the beginning of the movie, you're not quite sure, is he telling the truth? What's outside? Is it normal? Is it zombies? Is it who knows what's going on? And there's all this weird stuff happening in the house where people are materializing and there's <laughs> oh, weird interesting. sounds so, and ghosts. And yeah. But the audience is like, yeah, something's up. He's so, not just or, like or is super controlled. Like you're, you're at the beginning, yeah. you're yeah. totally in this perspective of this girl. She doesn't know what's going on and neither do like you. Cloverfield Lane. A little bit, little yeah. bit at the beginning, and then you're not sure if it's an apocalypse or if he's insane or if he's a kidnapper. But unlike Cloverfield fun. Lane, yeah. about twenty minutes in. So hold on, spoilers, guys. I haven't seen she, it. Yet. Twenty minutes. Twenty <laughs> minutes. Act? I think is it's. it's Do we it's, call this first act? Yeah, or first act. Into two? And, she, and first I'm act. talking about a spoiler for Cloverfield Lane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's true. <laughs> End of the first act of Freaks. <laughs> she leaves the house. Oh, she manages cool. gotcha. to escape to find out that her dad's telling the truth. People want her dead. Oh, interesting. And you don't That's know why. Fun. So it goes from there. And she doesn't know why. And and tonally, or maybe like genre-wise, where does it ultimately land? We yeah. call it a sci-fi thriller because it really... Also, people are like, it it changes genres. What genre is this? Some people and, call it the kitchen sink of genre. And, and <laughs> you know, the crazy thing is, like, when you're writing a movie, or when at least when we were writing a movie, we didn't really even talk about what genre are we writing. We were just... 
talking about this character and what she's going through and all the weird stuff that's happening. It's a highly subjective movie. The whole movie is from her perspective. It's even shot from her height. So ever, all the adults are like looking down over you and oh, you're looking up their noses. They hired a very short yeah. DP. <laughs> and and it, it, you know, mini spoiler here. There's weird things that are happening to her. And even the, just the sound design is what she's hearing and stuff like that. That may not be happening in the real world, but it's what she's hearing. Stuff like that. So basically the genre changes as her emotions change. Oh, cool. um, at the beginning, it's very much like a horror movie because she's terrified. But then by the end, there's a lot of bloodlust and revenge, and it feels like <laughs> almost like a revenge thriller. It goes, you know, it's you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll you'll scream, got everything. And how did you guys come up with it? Uh, it's inspired by a lot of different things. Um, it's like a, a totally original screenplay. Right? Yeah, yeah, we we wrote it. We were basically both um, directors. We were both separate directors. This is the first thing that feature that we wrote to, in and, Toronto, right? Uh, I'm from Vancouver. I'm from uh, LA. Adams from or LA. I live, I've lived in LA for 20 years, but oh. yeah, originally from Miami, Florida. <laughs> oh, you're not Canadian at all. No. I am not Canadian. Although I have recently, because I've been working in Vancouver so much the last four years, I just applied and got my permanent residency in Canada. Wait, so how did you guys meet each other? So we have a very unique origin story. We actually met on a reality television show as contestants. No, was yeah. it the yeah. lot? It was yeah. on the lot. Yeah, no. twelve years yeah. ago, there was a show called On the Lot. That... Do you guys, you guys must know Jared Lee Conway then. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well. Oh yeah. yeah. He's great. I was texting with was him he today. On the, <laughs> was he on the show? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. He was on our podcast. We talked to him for two hours. He never we mentioned talking about the lot. Yeah. So, so basically, twelve years ago, there was Steven a show Spielberg, called On the Lot. Uh, Mark Burnett. They had American Idol at the time was the biggest thing on TV, and so Fox said, "Let's." And Stephen and Mark Burnett said, "Let's do American Idol, but for film, where you make a different short every week, different genre." And every you know indie filmmaker in the world applied. There was like twelve thousand filmmakers, and I kept narrowing it down. Adam and I, which were in, nowadays that number would be like one point two million. <laughs> right. Well, it was, it was also just when YouTube was getting started. Just oh, started. So they were also like piggybacking that, like, mm -hmm. ooh, all the YouTubers out there, like, find the next great filmmaker. Right. There was like <laughs> thirty five YouTubers. Yeah. 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 And, and so Adam and I were in the top fifty. We actually. They, in the audition episode of the top 50, they actually put us in the same hotel room and uh, we just started. You shared rooms. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Right at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and It was kind of cool because unlike project Greenlight, where they just make one movie, everyone's making all these shorts all the time. And so we ended up like collaborating a lot, help each other on our scripts. Well, it ended up being terrible television because reality television is all about everyone getting drunk sure. and screaming at each other. Yeah. I'm and not like, here to make friends. And you get right? you get like yeah. 50 indie filmmakers together and everyone's just like, oh, that was so cool. Like what editing software did you use? And oh, I loved your script. And Especially it became really because boring. it was like a, a vote from home thing. Oh, so, sure. the, so the voters at home kicked off anyone who was a jerk. Really early <laughs> because they're, oh, they, I don't like them. Gone. Yeah, there's a TV so, show without a villain. Basically. And so now, like, there was like 10 of us by the, you know, the last 10 who all just loved each other and just like hung out all the time. So it was really boring, but we became close friends and, and best friends. And from then, after that, I moved to LA and we directed separately for a while and started doing Wait, little where, shorts. What place did you guys come in on, on the lot? Uh, Adam came in third. Uh, and I came in fifth, so he's two better oh. of a filmmaker than me. Can you tell us what you learned from your worst films? Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, I can oh, tell geez. you. I, I, I definitely I mean, had some bad ones. I went through sort of a mini career in like one month, which is like I started off full of just excitement and imagination and made <laughs> some incredible first few things. And then it's weird to think of, but like you're in quarantine on a reality show, so you have zero access to the world. 
you get monitored phone calls once a week. You do are, you get like, like can you use wait, the you internet, internet or, or? No internet no. access, no reading, no pens and papers, no. nothing. You, you can't pick up a magazine? Well, no. the pens and papers they give us. <laughs> well, <laughs> you can't because they didn't want you to get an idea from a magazine that someone else didn't have access to. So it was all uh, about being basically fairness. isolated. It was about fairness. So they would, they would, they would take us to the video store and let us rent videos. This was back in the day when you could rent videos, oh. boys <laughs> and girls. Um, and they would do stuff like that, but they wouldn't let us communicate with anyone because they didn't want me calling you and saying, hey, what do you think about this idea? So through my films, they started getting more and more sort of derivative and sort of unoriginal because you're being forced to perform and output a new brilliant idea every week with like just sort of like just the pieces that are thrown at you. And by the end, my last one was pretty unoriginal. And it was just like a crappy sequel to a movie I'd made the week before, which was not that original either. And I got just like called out on it and kicked off. And the contestants. So I had are like writing. the career of directors that like I have these. Was, it, w- it became it became just as much a writing competition right. as sure. a directing right. competition. Sure, sure. Um, so that was that was definitely a huge challenge. I sort of had a pandering problem. My 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 worst couple of films. <laughs> Where when I was trying to think, okay, what what do people like? What uh-huh. you know, what what will they like? Okay, um, you <laughs> right. know, because you you have a very specific audience that you're right. making these yeah. shorts for. And instead of doing something I liked, I tried to guess at what people would like. Yeah, and that was a and that's disaster. always a, that's yeah. always a bad idea. <laughs> you know what else is just occurring to me is so funny about this. It's like I'm thinking. Oh, well, you know not to do these certain tactics or whatever, because we've all seen so many reality shows. You see what people fall like pitfalls they make. But like you guys hadn't yet. Right. Right. Like it wasn't <laughs> like you had this like decade or two of like, nope. you know, vocabulary or just ideas of like how those shows are meant to work. Well, it was right? funny. I, I also really... never watched reality shows. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Actually, the guy who won, Will, was a huge Survivor fan. And was very and so aware. He was very oh, aware of all that and stuff. What's his last name? Will Bingham. Bingham. He was very I smart, but like in the first few days, Adam and I laugh about it now because we were so naive, but the interviewers would be like, so what makes you unique? What What is your story? And we'd be like, I like making movies. And they're like, no, that's not good enough. Like, sure. why sure. should people care if I don't make movies? I'll be sad. No, <laughs> you need like, whereas yeah. like Will was like, I'm a father with two kids. Yeah. And then if I don't win this, See, I'm going to have to give up. <laughs> filmmaking forever right and my two daughters i'll have to go take a job to support my daughters so everyone was just like voting for him like crazy but he did that on purpose like he was very sure, smart of course. About it. Yeah. he's a storyteller right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. he was a genius exactly. well so, great guys i what inception level are we at now lot. that was that was on the <laughs> lot. I think, should we move forward i think now? we can start moving forward yeah so after on the lot so yeah so yeah. so you guys decided to start working together well right? so we, we worked we separately short. and we kind of we started. We got actually got agents for the first time after on the lot, even though we couldn't get work. Cause <laughs> just, it was, just to illustrate, though, are you still with those agents? Um, I am. Exactly. Oh uh, wow! So my agent actually broke backstage through the quarantine and ran up to me and said, "When you're off this thing, give me a call." No way. And uh, I'm still with him. T- now Adam's repped by and him too. I am now with that agent as well. Wow. But uh, yeah, so then we kind of just tried to get any work we could get. You know, we were just, and I I, I got some commercial. Wait, but were you, a, were you teamed up at this point? No. We were friends that basically just were supportive of each other. Yeah. And we did were, you move to LA, Zach? I moved for a little while. Like after a few years, I moved. I don't remember what the time was, but yeah, I moved here for about four or five years. And it was, I was like 40 grand in debt just lying on the floor depressed couldn't get anything going and then the lowest point was actually there's this company that makes basically 
the worst type of movies you could ever make just above porn. Like basically um, they make like, I mean, their biggest hits are like Sharknado, but most of them are like if Transformers is coming out, they, they release Transmorphers. Right, and right. so like, like they, snakes on a train. Should we, yeah. s- should we say the name of the company? <laughs> Go for it. The asylum. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so they called me up and I was so desperate and they were like, you're that kid from on the lot. Like, come and meet us. And I went up to their place in Burbank and they met the guy, one of the guys running the place met me on rollerblades and it was like rollerblading around. And I'll never forget this. He's like, I am so sorry that you've ended up here, but I am so excited. Like he was like, cause you're a real filmmaker. I mean, that's like, not such a bad attitude yeah. to and have. And he's like, right? we pay our DPs $20 a day and you got <laughs> sure. five days to make the movie and blah, blah, blah. But like, you're going to get a chance to make a movie. And I was just like, Oh my God, is this where we've ended yeah, up? Yeah. And then at the same time when I was delivering. And did you, didn't, were you responsible for the script as well? I didn't actually end up making one there, but he was basically just like, yeah, here's five scripts we're making. Like, which one do you want to do? Like, yeah, just here's go the for poster it. of yeah. it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. they already had the poster. Th- they are they did still have... making Oh, yeah. Movie? They are still making movies, though. They did get sued after, I think, Transmorphers is maybe the one. Because <laughs> they had a big deal with, like, Hollywood Video, which I know because I was a clerk at Hollywood Video at the time. <laughs> and they would, you know, it was a deal where, like, you know, the, those videos are all basically alphabetical. And so, like, you would put Transmorphers next to Transformers. And then, like, someone who was confused and was just, like, grabbing a video for their right. kids would rent the wrong thing. Well, they told me their business... High. And they got, they got sued, basically. Yeah, like, their that, business that model was basically... Illegal. They would pre-sell the movie all entirely before they made it, just on the poster. And so then any amount of money they spent from that point on was was loss because they'd already any profit they were ever going to make had already been made before they made it yeah so then it was just to make it for as little as possible so that when someone took that poster by accident there was something on the disc yeah um yeah technically speaking (laughs) there's a movie on it i have actually had a a friend who did a video or a movie for them not that long ago and he was like yeah if you don't make your day that's that like you just it's not like you're just missing go and out you just don't have that scene anymore yeah like that's the whole thing so you put the most important stuff at the top of the day, because if you don't get to the end, that's well, actually not a bad advice in general. <laughs> yeah, I start with your most important stuff. Yeah. Even yeah. if you could we conceivably do go to OT yeah. because you want to spend more time on your most important stuff. Sure, that is true. So right around then, someone had in Vancouver had remembered me, and they were making a low-budget sci-fi monster movie for the Sci-Fi Channel, and uh, they remembered you from the show. From, from the, the show, line. yeah, and they. Um, they were look at the time a lot of the usual guys were doing sci-fi monster movies and they were like let's shake it up and this guy mentioned me and they were going to pay me 40 grand and I was 40 grand in debt and I was like, like and there was actually some I'll cool elements to it is that this I thought the Tasmanian Devil that movie? was Tasmanian Devils a movie about giant man-eating Tasmanian devils regular They're, listeners will recognize oh, it yeah. from the shot lister ad um, io9 called it the best sci-fi monster movie ever made <laughs> oh, wow. well and sci- sci-fi channel sci-fi channel oh, not okay. sci-fi mo- <laughs> like exactly s-y-f-y it's definitely the best movie about tasmanian devils did you have to go to tasmania for no this? we shot in vancouver the tasmania of canada <laughs> yeah i mean tasmania is pretty forested it looks pretty similar <laughs> canadian actors with really terrible australian accents i mean that is pretty charming but it actually. has That's winnie so cooper as the yeah. lead who we went to school together yeah she builds a flamethrower out of pieces of their broken jeep and roasts you know giant tasmanian devils um anyway so that <laughs> that was my first movie tv movie which led to sort of my next movie and my and and my third film which were all sort of job for hire horror films as i was kind of working my way up and at the meantime adam was doing jimmy kimmel and other well i was i stuff. was really my bread and butter was doing like 
corporate videos and commercial, you know, any kind of like online commercials I could get while I was writing scripts. I wrote probably like four or five different scripts. Features. Features that I was, I had agents at this point and I was trying to get these agents to, you know, sell the scripts. And then also I was going out on open directing assignment meetings and actually got hired on a couple movies to like, I just got hired on a movie. I'm directing yeah. a movie. I did it, Ma. My dream came yeah. true. Um, yeah. And then <laughs> your parents you know, said, we're never talking wah, to you again. We'll work for years on these movies that then never ended up getting made. And of course, you don't get paid as a director when you do that. You just go on, you go on meeting after meeting, well, one work, of them, work with writers. and um, One of them did get made just without you. Right. That was the first one. The very first meeting I went on after I got my manager's was for an open directing assignment at one of the mini Fox labels, Fox Atomic, which was like the youth-centered Fox label at the time. And it was right after Knocked Up and Superbad had come out, I think. And so they were trying to do a Judd Apatow, like, you know, like teen (laughs) comedy. Yeah. And And was that kind of your thing as comedy? I had made a lot of comedic shorts. And so that was like where my agents were trying to, you know, get me to to do stuff pigeonhole you yeah. right yeah i mean like which is okay yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That, or get hired yeah, yeah. sure you know yeah, look, i was up for as anything a, as guys. a pair of comedy directors like we get it you yeah. know I, I was up for i was up for anything and i was like great i'll do uh yeah let's go it's a 15 million dollar movie sure yeah and i pitched and they loved my pitch and i went up the ladder and i pitched ahead of fox how did you know how to pitch you know it's really i, I don't know terrible pitching no i just think I just think like it's just telling a story and I with images, you know, I put a lot of images together like this is the scene, this is what I want to do with the camera and this is what I want to do with this character and um it's something and you slowly get better at. Each I, pitch you kind of get better at pitching. And this was working like gangbusters. I don't know what <laughs> it was I think they just wanted like a young person, you know. <laughs> sure. Um and they wanted to hire me. And then the writer strike happened and the producer on this was 1492 Chris Columbus's company. They were producing the movie for Fox. And because the writer's strike happened and Chris Columbus was making Percy Jackson at the time, and that movie was then going to be on hold, he said, oh, what's this little movie that's ready to go? I'll just you know do what? that. I'm going to do yeah, that. Yeah. So he ended up directing it. Oh, and what was that called? It was called I Love You, Beth Cooper. Oh, I think I've heard it. Of it. Um, I have heard of Paul that Russ starred in it. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah I've seen um, and that was and so, the first movie I got fired from. And then at the and same time, there was a movie I was really trying to get made. And long story short, they fired me too because they didn't think I could. I was a big enough director to get cast. And so both and, Adam and, you and had I had done like three movies at this right, point. But this, at this point, it was like a prestigious like indie movie that would finally show people like my true heart and craft. Yeah. Were and you like trying to do more drama character it's not drama but it was like i mean my love is sort of elevated sci-fi so stuff like moon or ex machina and that type of stuff and so this was just a brilliant thing it was written by the creator of orphan black and it was just this really cool thing but then they was canadian yeah and they fired me and just both adam and i had just had all these experiences of like the stuff we really wanted to do i just told you guys about the first time i was (laughs) But basically the pattern through the the, ringer, the pattern is, and and I also did some digital series that were great. I didn't get fired, but um, (laughs) the pattern is when you're, when you have no credits. Sure. um, I think producers and and financiers are very worried about you 
because right, you're untested. You're untested. Even, so you've made all of these things and like been on a TV show. I, blah, I, blah blah blah. I had between Kimmel and film school and whatever. I've made over two hundred shorts. Sure. Yeah. But do you find that it's not really that they're worried about whether you can work with a big crew or you can make your days or you can make your budget? It's mostly about whether you can get amazing cast attached. Yeah. Yes, that's, especially for indies. It's like not a technical issue. I, I it's think a it, there's prestige that. issue. There's also like a little bit of like, well, if they haven't done it yet, and my boss asks, hey, has this person done the thing we're hiring them to do yet? And you have to say no. <laughs> you look like an asshole. Well, I think it's most executives. The, thing, the biggest right? thing I've noticed that's true of pretty much every executive, other than the really amazing ones, is their biggest concern is their job, not the film. As a filmmaker, your biggest concern is the film and right, anything that right. makes the film incredible. The, this is just one of many films that they have. And their biggest concern is their boss and them moving up the ladder. And so they never want to stick their neck out in a way that will the ramifications of failure will come towards them. So that's why there's always lots of movies based on pre-existing IP right. because, well, it's not my fault it failed. The book sold yeah, a thousand but, copies. But or, I do think that the actor attachment is yeah. the reason that, that both of us got fired from yeah. our... From our, you got, you our got fired. The latest thing we got fired from. You got fired because you attached a bunch of casts. And yeah, they said, so this I, cast I was working on this film. The actors that I got attached, who are incredible actors and would have been a great movie with them, weren't big enough in their mind mm-hmm. to make a $20 million movie right. financed. Which would is have been the an incredible $2 million dollar movie. Right. Yeah. Um, they would have been killer in, a, in, the, in the $5 million version <laughs> or, or below. But anyway, so they decided I was the problem. <laughs> and so they got rid of me to try to hire a bigger director. Now, of course, as soon as they fired me, the project died and went back on the shelf. Right. And, and they, a lot of they never hired another director. But what part of what made it work was your ideas on tweaks and stuff. Right? Yeah, the ideas are now in the ether and part of the script, right? And whatever, right. and and you know. But also, just the well, energy. Let me ask you that. Yeah, the passion. I think, like, yeah, you were the engine. I was the driving they force just of didn't it. Realize that. But. I wasn't big enough to get an A-list star. That's also true. Can I ask you this? Because I've heard it from many different directors, and it's exactly the situation where, and I think Matt and you and I've been we've in, been this too, in too, the exact same where position. we meet writers. Yeah. They have a script. We love it, but we have some ideas of some changes. We pitch it to them. We develop it together. They make the changes. The script is better, <laughs> and then you basically get detached from it. Do you still? Do yeah, you feel like that is um, you own some of that. You don't technically. That's something. That's a discussion <laughs> I've had with my awesome lawyer, um, <laughs> who's been my lawyer for twelve years. Unless it's papered before, it's yeah. really you know. Yeah, yeah. And we basically just went movie after movie after movie. And they this would, is after you try up. to attach a list actors, and it doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, there's just like you try everything you can do. You okay? You can get the actor, but to get the actor, you need this, and to get that, you need this amount of money. But to, to get that money, you need this person, and, and just it always falls apart. Or at least it was for us <laughs> every time we tried. So then we both came together. We were super frustrated. We were both desperate. We were like, we need to well, I th- I make think- something, and it's sort of relevant to your podcast's title that we can make. Just shoot it. We just need to shoot something no matter what. Like just that no one can stop us from making it. Well, I think I think that ultimately we were we were aiming too high for our first feature film. Mm-hmm. Even though you had already directed like three three movies. Well, here's the thing. We watched and it's very good advice, but you probably heard of it, the Mark Duplass speech um sure. that he gave at South by Southwest. The, cavalry, the cavalry, cavalry's not coming. coming. Yeah. And he gives very yeah. matter of fact advice that is kind of brilliant, but it it's, You've probably talked about it before. No, no, you know, we, we, we haven't, haven't really covered it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this 
pause the podcast. Pause the podcast. Go, go watch, watch that video. Yeah. Mark Duplass. <laughs> pull your, pull your car over. Not Mark Duplass, yeah. South by Southwest. Cavalry is not coming. And he basically says, if you don't have $5 million, if you don't have $10 million, don't write a script that costs $5 million or $10 million. If you're nobody, like write a script that you can actually make right now with just the stuff you have. And, and, and make a, actually make a list. What do you have right now? Well, you have this awesome uh, dining room table. Maybe this is in the movie. You got a yeah. piano. That could be in the movie. Is the movie about podcasters? Yeah. And he, he yeah. literally said, my brother and I had a puffy chair and a van. Sure. And that was our first movie. And we had us. And we were in it. And um, so, and we, so we, we were like, that's what we got to do. <laughs> but does he say, like set up the movie and then if you can trade out things for better things yeah. to do because the secret no, the secret not really he just says he just says only use what you have right never well, never wait to get something that you don't have and, and the, the refrain of the cavalry isn't coming is basically every time you're like i did it i made the the no budget movie and it got into these things finally i think i'm gonna like now you know, i can do a 10 million dollar movie now the cavalry isn't coming you're gonna like have you, to. You still... still you have to figure out how to make that ten million dollar yeah. movie yourself. Before we get into the show, here's a word from our sponsor, Musicbed, and their owner, Daniel McCarthy. Daniel, I'm curious actually, because it sounds like you guys are so involved with the selection process of what you're listing on the site. Are there other services that you offer filmmakers who are trying to find that perfect track? Yeah, so we actually have people on staff that will track down, search for music for you recommend using that service as much as possible they're going to find stuff that you might not have found give them a brief give them a scene description give them a mood give them a characteristic i mean heck give them a color give them something that just helps kind of process in their mind what mood are you are you trying to accomplish here it's kind of like you have your very own record store nerd that's exactly what it is and it is a group of people that know the catalog inside and out i would say they'll help you kind of find the gold yeah, that's awesome. Thanks again to Musicbed for sponsoring this episode of Just Shoot It. If you want to get a free month of a Musicbed subscription or 20% off your next single song license, head to musicbed.com and use the promo code Just Shoot It. All one word. Thanks. Hey everyone, the biggest movie out right now that everyone is talking about is The Irishman. It's on Netflix, it's a Scorsese flick. It's got De Niro, it's got Pacino, it's got Pesci, it's got all sorts of amazing visual effects, and we wanted to tell you about a podcast that is basically the Just Shoot It podcast of The Irishman. Yeah, it's the official three-part companion podcast from Netflix. The show is called Behind the Irishman. It's hosted by co-star and comedian Sebastian Mamascalco. They go behind the scenes on costuming, on how they achieved the effects. Really a super deep dive into that movie. It's conversations with De Niro and Scorsese about like how long it took them to actually make this movie possible and also how they got Joe Pesci out of retirement. Yeah. Home Alone 15 wasn't good <laughs> enough. <laughs> Please watch the movie. It's on Netflix right now before you listen to this podcast because there's a ton of spoilers. The first episode's already out and there's new episodes coming out every Monday. And this is just one of a ton of podcasts that Netflix is producing for various shows. They did one for Stranger Things. There's one coming out right now for The Crown. And this is actually the first one that's dedicated to a single film. Yeah, so if you want to check it out, search for Behind the Irishman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. So let's incept this back here. That's so, so good, you This guys. is five years ago. Yeah. We had just both been basically fired. 
Um, <laughs> we said, we got to make a movie. What, can, what do we have? Let's make a list. Duplass inspired us. We're going to write this. And the first draft of the script was for us to be in it. It was about a dad and a son and an uncle. Mm-hmm. And um, Zach being the and, uncle. And, yeah. you know, it's, it takes place, you know, half inside a house. And we wrote the first draft of the script that way. And then once we started revising the script and revising the script and people started saying, you know, that's pretty good. I, you know what? I always wanted to invest in a movie. I'd give you guys 10 grand maybe. Mm-hmm. We said, oh shit. Okay. We have 10 grand. Wait, who are these people? <laughs> so old friends, like you know, friends of like, yours, not yeah. Hollywood people. Yeah. yeah no, no, old no, friends. No, old, old friends. The first investors, one was Adam's uncle who's always wanted to, who loved film, but knew nothing about it. He was a chemical engineer. Well, he's always been a movie lover, yeah. but he's a chemical engineer. Yeah, and like my real nerd. one of my oldest friends was a filmmaker. He made a first film and, and went so broke that he was living in a warehouse with no heat and stealing toilet paper from house parties. And then eventually, but he went from that warehouse and became a furniture mogul. And then uh-huh. started selling couches, learning the job, things in the warehouse and became a millionaire in selling couches. And patio furniture, and so people it's one like of the that. most comfortable guys so, in America. So that guy who always wanted to make another movie is like, I'll give you a little bit of money because um, this is this is a good concept. And are you guys soliciting these people, or is it no. literally? It's just well, like yeah, oh, you know, yeah sort of. Hey, well, it's doing? like oh. hey, yeah. hey, um, Rick, who's Zach's old friend. You know, that we're working on this thing, and you know, we might someday need to raise money. But we also did a lot of one of the things we did a huge amount was doing script readings. So we'd have a bunch of actors read the script and have friends come over to give us notes, like a table read. Yeah, we did that like five or six times, and each time, and just friends that are actors, not like yeah. right, not people that. Oh you yeah, friends. we would just catching. order some pizza and people would come over. And can I ask why? If you have friends that are actors, why cast yourselves from the beginning? We because who knew we literally said shoot a film on weekends for six months. Are you gonna? You know, (laughs) would they do it for zero dollars? Because at that point, we it was still the zero dollar plan. Right. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, the funny thing is, if you send someone a script, look, we always thought we always thought okay, we could probably find an actor to do these roles mm-hmm. for zero dollars. But the contingency. But the contingency, the backup sure. is that we will do it yeah. so that we are making this movie. So there's no right? reason. It the attitude we, of we are making this if, movie no matter yeah. what. If every old lady in the world says they're not doing the movie, then we'd be screwed. So if we write it with things we already have, we can always make it no matter what. So that was that was the key. The thing I was going to say earlier is when you send someone a script, they never read it. Sure. But if you say, come over to my house and listen to the script and I'll have pizza and then we'll talk about it. It'll take way more of your time, but it'll be social. They, tons of people will gladly do that. Well, it depends on how quickly you fall asleep. I'll read. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we did the first script reading and we got so much useful feedback because the first draft was terrible. Mm-hmm. And, and was it just, did, do you invite just people to, read roles or also additional people additional, to just listen an audience. to. Oh, yeah. an audience. audience too. Yeah. Just and, of like five or six And people. it was very educational and we were like, oh my God, now we know what to do in the rewrite. And we totally rewrote it and then we were like, we got to do another reading because last time it was so helpful. And we ended up doing it again and again and again. And once you do that five times <laughs> and you really, really rewrite it for two months in between those readings, the script can get pretty good. And then we had a script that was actually when we were showing it to our managers or our agents or whatever. They were like, you guys, this this script's pretty good. Like, um, I think. You, I, are you changing like the ending and the twists and every, all every, the every detail. everything, everything? There are huge sections that change, whole sequences that went out, and um, 
And one of the we early changed things, it to a girl instead of a boy because we we like that better. Especially the movies, the really, story. it's it's a it's a mystery, and so. As a writer of a mystery, you know all the answers, but you really need to make sure the audience is picking up each detail along the way in a satisfying way. So it's really hard to write that without feedback. Um, um, but, but one of the things that happened early on was we got enough money. Basically, casting directors generally always cost ten grand for indie movies. So we got ten grand. So we're like, okay, let's hire a casting director and see if now we've got this script <laughs> that people say is good. Let's just start sending it to people. Can we we'll, attach some people? Well, first yeah. of all, we knew we needed a really good kid to play the lead. At that point, it and it was, was still a five-year-old. At that point, it was a girl. We were flexible in the age. We actually aged it up a little bit. As my as my son got older, I was like, <laughs> "We should make this older." Ah, <laughs> um, uh, you're like pretty good at yeah. stuff now. Finally, um, yeah. <laughs> and so the character is seven in the movie, um, but we knew. Okay, we've just written a script where there's a seven-year-old in every scene, and not just being like a passive, wise observer uh, or a cute you know kid this is like a fierce crying screaming like passion role yeah we need to kill our kid in this and and why did we write this we're stupid we can't make this movie now um, so we knew if, we if you are approaching a movie with like uh, how can we make something that's totally shootable well your son like, was a, that a way. lead kid you know is what, a little it, my tricky, son right? inspired the role he's a fierce passionate like super big emotions kid and so, except when you say action, <laughs> and, but you know, but it's part of the idea of telling the story from the kid's point of view that you can put the camera, shoot right. things from the yeah. kid's point of view, and you don't need the kid in that. Yeah, we did. No, not. no, no. I it mean, there are. It's point not of like view a point shots. of view movie. Yeah, no, it's not a point of view movie. It's more that like we loved. This is what creatively so we talked. We've talked a lot about the business side of things. <laughs> what creatively inspired the story is watching how my son started to try to understand the world in those years when you're five, six, seven, wake up terrified from a nightmare and have to try to kind of slowly understand that that wasn't real. But then he's running out into the street and you're terrified. Sure. And he's like, what, what's the big deal? Why is my <laughs> parent terrified? Right. Right. And so that, that just that it was so fascinating to watch a kid start to put the pieces, mm-hmm. puzzle pieces of I understanding the world together. Kids like dinosaurs so much, right? right? Because it's they're like, real, but it, they're, they're real, but it's so confusing. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah. so we were fascinated by how kids start to understand the world. And the, the, the kind of light bulb moment for us being sci-fi fans was what if the world was a sci-fi world? So you don't know what it is. You don't, you know. don't know as the audience. If you're in the kid's perspective, you don't know what's real and what isn't in this world. You know what's real and what is in your own world, but this world is not your world. And when you say sci-fi world, do you mean that it's not on Earth? You'll have to watch to find out. Today, when you Just, when the movie starts, you have zero clue. You don't. It, you can't see outside, so you have no idea. It doesn't if, play by the rules. But what that is we the trailer? Show us. What it means. The yeah. the trailer is <laughs> it's pretty the, the distributor did an amazing job setting up the kid and trapped in a house by her father. There's the their, their mom is dead, but she wants to find out what happened to the mom. And there's lots of crazy shit happening. And freaks are dangerous and freaks are out there and freaks are something that we should be scared of. And And, what does that mean? And so, but telling the story, the whole narrative structure of the story is told from her perspective and you're finding out things as she's finding them out. And sometimes she's really terrified and confused and you're, you're really terrified and confused, (laughs) but you don't know if you can trust him, what he's telling you Mm -hmm. because you look out the wind, she, she kind of sneaks, steals glances out the window and 
it's different than you expected. So it's 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 yeah. all unfolds from her perspective. And so there's never a moment where the audience of adults is aware of a sense of danger that the child. Well, is there is well, in there, some there ways are, that are fun because there, there's there moments where basically ways. she's walking into a situation that she thinks seems fine. For example, the first time she meets Bruce Dern. But he, just because of who he is, and he's basically this ice cream man who's trying to lure yeah, her out of the house with a, ice cream. There's an ice cream you truck. Are ter- she wants ice cream. This is great news. There's <laughs> yeah, Bruce sure. Dern giving me ice cream. Sure. But you were like, stay away from that man. Stay yeah. away from that man. We've he's learned not, enough to know that so, it's not okay to any, go get ice cream. Or is it? Yeah, sure. Or is it? <laughs> yeah. So. It, any preconceptions the audience had, we wanted to play with. So the fact that there's an ice cream truck driving around her house playing this creepy music with a with Bruce Stern staring at the window <laughs> trying to kind of coax her to come outside to her that's awesome she wants ice cream sure yeah but to you you're like don't go out there don't go out there <laughs> yeah. but at the same time then we we always tried to flip it like wait a second maybe he is a good guy maybe the dad's a bad guy oh wait you don't know so that's kind of the that's kind of what the movie's about. And so it's a really fun read. We started sending it to actors. We got some letters back from a lot of the first actors we sent it to that were like, "This is an incredible script, but there's no way you can make this movie for for nothing. Like it's impossible." Well, at this mm. point, so you was, still only had the ten grand for the casting yeah, director. What was exciting was we had this casting director, and when and, and sorry, so yeah. I, I feel like a lot of uh, this piece of advice we give on the podcast all the time <laughs> that you guys are kind of negating (laughs) is that like just having a casting director does not do much to attach names to your movie that's what we had we had had, we had soft interest Mm -hmm. we got we had 10 grand in the bank so we could actually pay a casting director but some of these other people we talked to other actors you mean no other other kind of rich investor types types Ah, i see i see we're like you know what this this script is really good you guys this script is really good who's going to be in it well we don't know it might be no names it might be us Mm, well you know (laughs) i i might i might be interested i might be interested keep me posted we had four or five people who were like that high net worth individuals so we knew if so we we knew we knew the script was like reading well but and and we knew if we could get someone, then they would come in. But if we didn't, then maybe they wouldn't come in. But it was still okay because we could still make it with us for nothing. <laughs> Wait, but when you're sending it to actors, or you have, is there an offer attached? Yeah. Or you're... So I mean, we basically just offered the minimum, which you're allowed, well, to, which is we schedule, schedule F, F, which is basically that's not the minimum, Zach. That's that's actually pretty nice for an indie film. It's a minimum for a flat, which is basically we can use you as much as we need you. For um, how much money? It's sixty-five thousand. For an, any number of days? Well, you put in the letter, you put, we're offering SAG Schedule F for 17 days of filming. Okay. Whatever it is you think you need them for. Um, Without dates. Yeah, Without. and that that sort of covers no, overtime. Like, every basically, you are ours for that amount of time. For um, those 17 days. Yeah. We, we, Interesting. Um, did you know that? I, 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 I hadn't heard that, actually. It's instead of paying a day rate. rate. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the lowest flat rate SAG offers. Interesting. Oh. And But so... You're not on the hook unless the movie's a go, basically. Well, well we would basically, once, we one, knew if any of them said yes, we could get 65 grand. So that wasn't a problem. I see. So we were just. Well, we knew if any of the people we were offering it to said yes. Right. It wasn't just, we had 65 grand. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The kinds of people we were offering it to, we actually right. talked to some of these soft investors and said, hey, what do you think about Bruce Dern? Right. Oh, he's amazing. Are we, is he in? No, but we're, <laughs> yeah. we're going to send him a letter now. And but, if yeah. he comes in, are you going to be in? 
yeah, I think I could do that, you know. So and, and so was, the whole was, thing was kind, it was kind of a, a rolling series of conversations. Right, sure. And it did grow. Like the movie wasn't made for zero dollars. We can't say exactly how much well, it was. Obviously, got Bruce Dern. So yeah, it's more we than can say we we, <laughs> we, we afforded a couple of Schedule Fs, <laughs> and then we afforded some production and crew and stuff. But yeah. we Where were still we shot it in Vancouver, in my hometown. But ca- calling guess, on a lot of favors. I guess what we're trying people. to communicate is like we didn't count. See, every project we'd been involved in, if you can't get those actors attached, the movie's dead. And we always had the backup plan. Um, so we were basically we actually ended up drawing a line in the sand because we have a kid in every scene of the movie. That basically means you have to shoot in the summer because they don't have to do schooling. So you get three extra hours a day of shooting with them. So we knew we were shooting in the summer. That and you ended hadn't up, done the Disney stuff at this point. We've yeah, done we had, some. Well, we had, it was yeah. kind of at the same time, which is an interesting topic in itself. But basically, <laughs> yeah. in between doing the pilot, and I was like, okay, well, I don't know if that's ever going to go. Adam and I were finishing Freaks. We're like, let's well, see if we well, can actually we were, make... We were write, We were writing Freaks. But we remember we thought... Because then oh, yeah. Me- Mech X4 got... Well, we had just finished basically the second draft of Freaks. And he got the job to direct the pilot. And Mech X4... And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Sorry, can I curse on this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? We're supposed to make this movie. Like, dude, like, and, my and kid's like, going to get older. Maybe yeah. we can make it before I shoot the pilot. And, and the script just wasn't ready. Yeah, and we yeah. weren't ready. No, it like, wasn't no. even the pilot, Adam. It was between the pilot like the pilot only took like a month or something right 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 the show got picked up and they asked me to be the producing director um oh, basically wow. for the whole first season so then they greenlight the show and i i'm the producing director which means i kind of oversee all the directors on the show i'm sort of the showrunner of the directors and i said which means that for the episodes i'm directing i'm not in prep on whichever the next episode is happening so i said if if you want another one of me the only director i can't supervise is whoever's prepping while i'm shooting so there's this other guy who's done lots of jimmy kimmel he's done all this mm-hmm. cool stuff you got to hire him i got and, a buddy yeah, yeah and harvard and yeah. they basically like, well we'll give him an episode i guess like it was sort of like a test because he had never done i hadn't done it and he hadn't done it so adam did episodes three and four i did episode one and two and then three and four went really well and then they just started rolling us through and, and then they ended up doing two seasons so between the pilot and the first season we actually thought we were going to shoot Freaks. We were trying to race it in before the, the first season started. And then we just realized we just weren't ready. There just wasn't enough time. So we ended up shooting And then we said, okay, series. well, after season one, we'll shoot Freaks. But then so what we happened... we were still revising the yeah. script while we were directing Freaks, uh, directing Mech X4. Then the basically. tax credits in Vancouver changed, and there was basically like uh, this all these reasons that they basically did season one and two back to back. So we ended up shooting for like two years. Um, because and you're if, like living in Vancouver at this point. Right. Well, Adam. that's the thing. Like I have, I have two kids at this point <laughs> um, and I am in Vancouver for more of the year than I'm in LA. Right. Which is why I applied for residency. <laughs> um, and so by the time the second season was coming or uh, was finishing, we're like, we're going to shoot the movie no matter what before the third season starts. So we just kind of drew a line in the sand. We're shooting it this summer. We're going to make it. And we started just pulling all the triggers that couldn't be unpulled. Like, okay, you're, we're booking an actor for that time. We're going to be telling, you know, all that gear. We need it this day. And, like, and, and actually, how, how do, well, hold on. Yeah. Financing though, right? Yeah. Like you guys are pulling these triggers. Is that, are those down payments coming out of your pocket or is it so your, this, these high net worth the good, individuals? The good, the good thing is doing two seasons of TV as sure. a director, <laughs> pretty we actually did have some money saved up. Yeah. So beyond the 10 grand we got from our fir- buddy for our first investor, we actually decided, okay, we're getting such good response on the script. We can probably hire real actors, even if they're no, no names. We're going to put in some of our own money. Now, we have some savings. We're going to each put in 
um, I think we ended up each putting in, you know, 50 grand to start that we had saved. And so now we have 110. That's like an sure. actual movie. Yeah, sure. You, you can <laughs> right. make a movie for that much That's money. a tenth of an episode of Disney. <laughs> and, and then because we were putting in our own money, some of those investors who we'd be talking to were like, wait, you guys are investing? And you're shooting on and, and, August and, and 3rd? You know what? Right. You know what? I, 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 that means a lot to me. I'm going to give you some money. So that The really ball helped. started rolling and the budget basically started going up. We knew at each level we could make it with whatever we had, but it started kind of going And we had bigger some investors that we talked to, either through our managers or whatever, who were kind of the more traditional investors, who we ended up saying no to because there were too many strings attached and right, we saw right. the strings You're tying like, us up. I don't want well, to cast your gonna, niece. It wasn't going to, no, it'd be it like, was, we'll give you 400 grand, but yeah, only was, if well, there's you, one company who said they would give us 250 grand. Only if it goes to like an A-list superstar. Right. Like, Our right. money will be used to finance an offer to an A-list star. But like this was like, delaying the project. Well, this Killing was like, this exactly. was three We've weeks before we started shooting. Before. Yeah, sure. We're like, there's no way we're going to get someone in three weeks. So we'd have to delay and then it probably won't happen and then we'll be screwed. So um, and there was another investor who, by this point, we, we had been, we'd built confidence in our, in, our, in our movie because when we sent it to these agents, we got good responses. Like usually agents don't sure. even call you back. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but we had one agent at UTA who called us out of nowhere and said, you guys, this is the best script I've read this year. We're like, I mean, fuck yeah. yeah, awesome. Yeah, like, He's like, I know. I'm putting my clients into this movie. This movie's going to be good. I'm putting my clients into this movie. We're like, bring it on. Wait, where, where was this agent from? <laughs> Brian Nasikoff at UTA, who represents Amanda Crew. Oh yeah, who ended Who's up being awesome. in the movie, and she is amazing. She's like movie. one of those actors where you see her in Silicon Valley, and you're like, oh. well, that's why she was begging to do this role because she's known as being a pretty funny girl. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, she's, she's like covered in blood, blood. Crying, she's like, you know, kick ass, you know, action star. Yeah, yeah. And she wanted to do it. She's dying to do it. And we were like, yeah, awesome. Um, we're like, this is going to be low budget, you know, like, and she's like, guys, my last movie, I was changing clothes in the gas station. She's like, I'll yeah. do whatever it takes to, to, to yeah, make this yeah. happen. And um, actually, the first actor who responded from all our letters that we were sending into the void, we got someone who said, Love the script, but I'm not going to do a tiny budget movie. <laughs> um, but the first one who said, I want to do it was Bruce Dern, who we suddenly got a call from our casting director. And she was like, guys, guys, Bruce Dern wants to do it. <laughs> um, we were like, and what? Did you, did you meet with him or talk to him or anything we before did meet he with said him. yes? Well, he basically said yes. And then we were like, can we meet with him to make sure he's right? Well, and we ended up having this lunch like, with him. It's Bruce Dern. Right? Yeah. Well, we wanted <laughs> well, to make no, sure. Like, so, so what actually happened, just to give the just shoot it listeners the real scoop the real real yeah <laughs> not the polish um yeah. bruce is very much about like he he's been around right he's been acting for 65 years at this point he's gotten lots of offers and when he gets offered something for a low budget movie they want to make sure there's cash on the barrel that this is real that's not just a project that's going to disappear not escrow either like so his the way his reps work it is bruce wants to do the movie I want a signed contract by the end of this week saying that you're paying him this amount and you're going to send us this amount. And that's how we know you're serious. Yeah. And so we were (laughs) like, that's cool. Holy shit. Okay. This just got really real. You guys, (laughs) now we actually have to send, you know, $65,000 at the end of this week. Like this is real, but there was also this feeling of like, well, we're just sending this money without ever talking to him. 
Like that doesn't feel right either. Is he going to phone it in? Is he going to love it? Is he like it? What does he think? We kind of stood up for ourselves because at this point we knew people thought the script was good, and we knew what we wanted out of this role. So we so we said, you know, we love him. We want him to do it. We have the money because it was true, but we wanna we wanna meet him. We wanna make sure he's really passionate about this role because this is our baby. We've been working on this for four years at this point. And we want to make sure that he feels passionately about this role like we feel passionately about the movie. And they said, no. They said, okay, well, I guess it's not going to work out then. And we, and for about an hour, we were like, well, I guess we just screwed it. We were like, you did know. we make the right decision? Well, I don't want to just send the money just if it's just a money job. And then him. the phone rings. Right. Hello? Hello? Bruce, hey, you you doing the freaks? I heard heard you want to talk to me. What's the problem? You don't think I can do this role? You don't think I want to make this movie? Like, what's your issue? That's so good. Oh, hi, hi, Bruce. Uh, And we talked to him, and he told crazy stories, and then we sent the money, and then we had a lunch with him. And the lunch lasted almost seven hours, like six six, six and a half hours. Arts Deli on Ventura. Wait, a different deli? Yeah, he well, chose the place. He chose Again, the deli. something convenient for him. Yeah, um, we didn't tell like, Adam's you know, family. Art, arts, arts Deli at noon. Meet Bruce, and uh, we had simple questions like, not only, "Can you drive?" Like, because there's driving. Yeah, in the movie. Sure. Like, um, how long of a workday can you do? But he just sat down and just started. Have you ever worked us, with a kid before? You know, and he just told us all of the stories of his entire. You know, he's worked with Hitchcock. He's worked with you know Kazan. He's worked with just like everyone. Yeah, he told all us about the time that that um, Hitchcock. Hid from Spielberg because <laughs> he was embarrassed he, that he, he embarrassed the, that he did the voice for Universal Studios for the Jaws ride. Spielberg <laughs> made him feel cheap, um, <laughs> <laughs> like all this crazy stuff, and it was insane because he's staring at you with those eyes, pointing right, at your face right. for six hours, not stop and, talking. And and it ended when I said, "Bruce, Bruce, I'm sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> I just really, really have to pee." Because we literally hadn't gotten sure, up, yeah, yeah. he hadn't interrupted him for six hours. Oh uh, yeah, well I gotta pee too. I'll tell you. You know, let's go to the bathroom, and I'll tell you. You know, the yeah, last yeah. time that I had to pee, it was in 1936, sure. and just like, yeah, yeah. just like it was just pretty incredible. We had him, and once we had him, that helped well, get and other. We, and Amanda other. had already been talking to us, so we had him, and we had Amanda. And we, in the meantime, we start we had started auditioning for the little girl, which was a huge another deal for an, time for another <laughs> podcast probably. <laughs> Um, but we found this amazing actress. Everyone who comes to see the movie, um, you know, they come because they, 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 the story looks interesting or they come for Bruce or Emile Hirsch who ended up in the movie. But everyone who sees the movie only comes out talking about her. Because oh, interesting. Sure. It's that kind of thing like Natalie Portman in The Professional mm-hmm. or Drew Barrymore when she was young that you just know, holy shit, I just saw the next superstar. Yeah. And because did you tell that you saw that immediately when she came into the room? We 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 auditioned in a very different way because we had all this experience working with kids. We knew how to work with kids. Right. But also we knew that we wanted a different kind of kid performance in this role that wasn't a Disney performance. A we lot of kids deep. when they were in when they're in stuff, they're very robotic and sort of fake. And a lot of that is because they come super duper rehearsed because they want to make sure their parents make sure they don't they know their lines mm-hmm. and they and don't they come mess up like, a word. Smile very, when you say this, and, and they're then, basically yeah. super robots. Yeah. They don't so they have no. They're saying yeah, the which words. Which works for Mac X form. Well, no. Well, actually, <laughs> we we had had a lot of experience getting the kids out of that on Mac X four. The kids on Mac X four, we used a lot of improv. Um, and we used a lot of like stuff from their own lives to connect it to make it more real than than Disney had u- used been used to doing. But with Freaks, we wanted to go to that to the nth degree, 
and find a kid who was very raw, basically. And so in the, in the auditions, we were sitting on the floor with coloring books with our shoes off. And we had the kids come in and say, you know, just put the, no, no script, just sit, color with us. You know, when that time, have you ever been mad at your parents? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, tell us about a time you were mad at your parents. Oh, well, he wouldn't let me go to sleep over. A, you know what? Let's, let's improvise that scene. Let's just pretend we're doing that scene. And so we would get, we try to get these kids to their real emotions. And you would play like the den. We had an, we actor, had an actor who would come friend. and he basically would, whatever they had said the argument was about, would improvise he, he would improvise scene. it so they were connecting to something that actually happened in their life and then he would start saying lines from the actual scene the and the scene really good actually, ones like Lexi yeah. who's in the movie yeah. she would you know say it was arguing about sleepovers the actual scene was arguing about ice cream the really amazing ones would the amazing use, kids the yeah. amazing kids would use the no, the emotion and, well, and just well, we would, immediately we, yeah. go over we would and, try to get them yeah. there emotionally first with their real life and then right. weave in the script right. Yeah, that's and, so fascinating. That's and, such an interesting way to like break kids into like. And, and then Lexi like, in her audition, you know, her eyes were watering and her nostrils were flaring. She was, she was spitting on us because she was so full of rage, you know. And we were just like, our hair was blown back, like in those <laughs> '80s commercials. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the crazy thing was, there were a couple other actors, young actors, who could get there emotionally, but when we stopped them you could tell they were rattled by the experience mm-hmm. that they were kind of disturbed sure. by what they had just done. Yeah. But they went hard. there, but they're right. They and, don't have and the training we, to understand the experience. Exactly. Yeah. And we didn't want that because we yeah, knew yeah. this would be a month of shooting and we didn't sure. want to scar somebody. But yeah. when we said cut the first time with her, she immediately just put her hand on the hip and was like, that was really good, good guys. Oh man, you're such a great actor <laughs> yeah. to the guy we had there. This is so much fun. Oh, yeah, but, I loved your guys' lookbook. Like yeah. she was just like immediately back to and being it was, a it was shocking. Cause yeah. she and was had like, she done a lot of acting before? A little bit. She'd been in a couple shows. Um, the and, cute girl making cookies and like. And, and her, sure. her older sister was had, had done a lot of acting. So she kind of grew up gotcha. watching her older in sister and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So the funny thing that happened, we finally had the cast. We had the money. We put a line in the sand. We had to get this done before Mech X4 went to season three and then they canceled Mech X4. Oh, and so we were like, okay, that means suddenly we've got all this runway. And then we're like, what are you doing with all this stuff? And so we basically went yeah, and so, like stole like to, to we, Mech X4. Well, so so Mech X4 had two seasons worth of this hundred square foot soundstage 100, full of hundred thousand square foot yeah. soundstage. And we went and took all the sets, all the props, all the like. Literally, they were the, just trashing it. That's the, what happened. The ice cream truck in the movie yeah. is the food truck from Mech X4, and we just took it all for free because they were because I was a producer on the show. They were just like, "Yeah, take whatever you want," yeah, yeah. and like we basically I mean, it's just literally garbage. Yeah, right. They're yeah. just gonna throw it all out, and we, you know, almost everything you see in the movie is stolen from that well, show. Well, co- costumes, you and know, that was shooting in Vancouver. Also. It was shooting in Vancouver, so and then the other. Convenient. But it was it was the craziest thing because they had already turned off the power on the soundstage, so we with our like ragtag bad news bears crew of like unpaid, you know, sure. people open the, the, the bay doors of this <laughs> yeah. uh, like the Ark of the with flashlights yeah. warehouse. And we're yeah, going you got through the U-Haul you yeah. picked up that exactly. morning. Totally. Yes. That's, so that's actually very true. Um, and the other crazy thing that happened, which is sort of an interesting lesson because people often have this choice when you're a director between doing the work for hire or doing your passion project. And sure. people often think you have to basically be one or the other. And I've definitely met filmmakers that only ever struggle and only do their passion projects and filmmakers that only ever basically take the jobs and, you know, are, are 
labeled yeah. sellouts maybe, but they're Guilty. often often they're creatively sort of empty. And then often the people that just do the passion projects oh, are, struggling. are struggling and poor and can't make it happen. We were lucky enough to have a day job and keep nurturing our passion project. Right. And then they just gelled and matched and, and, and we used in all, all sorts the favors of from the TV show. Like the camera crew from MechX4 who own you know, red scarlets and all this stuff because they make lots of money on union shows. We're like, oh, I'll give you my camera gear for free for a month because while we're between seasons sure. and, and the visual effects house is the, the next one. Yeah. Right, the yeah. visual effects house that did all the robots who makes, you know, a million dollars an episode on whatever. They're like, yeah, well we'll do five or six of the cool big visual effects for free. We love you guys. Like, and so all of the resources of Mech X4 are kind of in kind of free sort of favory kind of way went into the movie and then vice versa. The movie being something we wrote and directed. That was a passion project. That was something we had created led to us doing a big movie like Kim Possible, which was 10 times the budget, even more. But because we had written and directed this movie and, and kind of proven ourselves as co-directors, it was that passion project that got us the much bigger studio thing. Interesting. Wait, and, so you did Freaks first and then Kim Possible. Right. Well, we, we, we shot Freaks first, but while we were still editing Freaks, we got the job on Kim Possible. So it wasn't done, but, but we so, showed them a rough cut. Oh, okay. Because um, they, they had never worked with co-directors before. They thought that basically one scene would look like it was directed by one person and the other scene. And so they sure. were they, they didn't think that two people could direct. So we showed them the movie and the movie was good. And they, they basically, it helped us get this much bigger Disney But we were project. still f- editing and finishing it while we were prepping Kim Possible. And it took us basically a whole year to do post on Freaks. The advice I give is that actually doing your passion projects, pushing them forward as much as you can, but also take the jobs that you can get. And there'll always be breaks where then... Still survive. And and do both because they end up ricocheting off each other and and making both... You meet people on the day jobs that can help you on your passion project. Yeah, and you save money on the you make money on the day so jobs. Your passion projects you get passion bigger project. and better, while at the same time your day jobs get bigger and better because your passion projects mm-hmm. get, are, are, are bigger. Yeah. Like no. your your passion projects get more prestige, so you end up getting better day job things, right. and it goes back and forth. I mean, that's the catch twenty two, right? It's like the day jobs only are as good as your passion projects, right? Like right. no one ever gets hired to do but something. Just as another like, example, we we directed Kim Possible. We didn't write it because. Um, it was already a pre-existing thing. But then um, we've now sold an idea to Universal to write and direct to a, to a big studio. And the only reason they think we can write and direct is because we did Freaks, even though it was a tiny movie. Mm-hmm. But because we did a studio thing, sure. they think, oh, you're, you're, you're a studio person about. and you wrote and direct this tiny movie. So you combine yeah. those. And you're these like TIFF filmmakers also. Yeah, but... Without well, Kim Possible, I, that sale to Universal doesn't happen. But without Freaks, that sale to Universal doesn't happen. So but they kind of combine I think if together. I were the big studio stuff that now we're lucky to get into the room for, I remember, you know, well, a year ago, that was that was unattainable <laughs> for us as well. And I think the, the part that I didn't hear a lot about that I think could be interesting for your listeners was how to finish and sell a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, because we made Freaks... We actually went a little bit over budget and we had to like borrow money from Zach's mom's line of credit (laughs) to like pay bills and stuff and raise finishing funds, which was really were over budget funs (laughs) Um, and, and, and beg more favors from VFX houses to finish it. And then what do we do? Like we've just spent all this money from all these people. How do we make this money back? And how do we get the movie you sold? you guys are both equally in for 50K. Ahead. Well, at this yeah, point, right. I think, like, yeah, 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 we had yeah. Put, like, <laughs> any, any money we could find, we sure. put into the movie. Yeah. And so we were in it 
you know, our relatives, our f- best friends were in it. You know, it was pretty intense. I mean, the and money that the, the stress of finishing the movie, even though, and then we, it, while we were editing it, we were doing constant test screenings, just like we did with the stage readings. We did constant test screenings to keep improving the edit again and again, almost every weekend. The movie was getting kind of good, but we still <laughs> thought, oh shit, what do we do? Sure. And so we eventually found these sales agents. Basically, you know, through our agents and managers and stuff, started getting the rough cut in front of these things called sales agents. These people called sales agents, <laughs> which who are the people who specialize in taking independent films and finding buyers for them. It's sort of like a real estate agent, but for your movie. Like they're right. they're specialized in getting the people that buy movies to see your thing to see your movie and, and, and negotiate the deal and try right. and get it sold. And at this point, are you like trying to pre-sell like foreign rights? No, or the, you, the no, thing that was we, unique that ended up being a big strength was we hadn't done any pre-sales at all to fund the movie. And that's generally that's if you can, that's good because you always get way less when you pre-sell a territory than you would if you sell it once you have a movie. Assuming so, that it premieres at TIFF or something like that, right? You know, like to a degree. there is the... If the movie wasn't good and didn't have the, like yeah. a... Yeah, I mean, you have to you believe know. in your movie. I mean, if the movie doesn't end up being good, then yeah, you would have gotten more by pre-selling it. Sure. But like one thing... <laughs> like the guys doing Transmorphers. But, but, <laughs> but one thing that's that's a factor now is that there are buyers who also only will buy your movie if it's global. Oh, interesting. Like they just no, want if, a global Like beer. Netflix, oh, right. for instance. Yeah. It's called a worldwide sale. So yeah, if yeah. no other territory has been sold in the world... Then Netflix can be it can be a Netflix original everywhere. But if you've already sold Germany, Canada, Spain, and mm-hmm. Japan, they won't. They even don't look want to at slice it that. So, it, yeah. so that was something that all the sales agents were really excited by. It was like, ooh, we've got a worldwide sale here. Ooh, and it has good. a global appeal. Too. Right. We got rejected by lots of festivals and then got into TIFF, which and, is like one well, of the best festivals. Well, yeah. the, and I emailed a friend of mine. I was just straight up. He had been in TIFF the previous year, and I was like, dude. How do you get into a film festival? Like, how do we? How, we're running out of options here. Like, yeah, yeah. and he said, "Oh, well, you just ask the, you just contact the the programmers. No one ever reaches out to them, but they're really friendly." Here's the email of the TIFF programmer who I got to know last I, year. I I had always had this um, impression of festival programmers as these like mean, stern, like gatekeepers. Sure. They get yeah. a billion that, emails. Yeah, that but, hate but also movies that, hate, that hate hearing <laughs> from filmmakers. I do love the idea that a programmer would hate movies. Well, not right. that they hate yeah. movies, but they're like very judgmental, yeah, sure. yeah, very yeah. hard to please, and just like kind yeah. of like they tough. Have to, they have to be right? bribed or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then and then I just emailed the guy. An hour later, he emailed me back. He's like, oh, I'd love to see your movie. Yeah, Thanks for like, reaching out. You're you like, know? oh, and, you're and, a nerd who watches yeah. 600 movies yeah, a we year. Them, of course they were you like love movies. Some of the nicest people I have ever met in the film industry. And they love movies and they love filmmakers and they love supporting. Luckily, they liked the movie. I mean, he said that when he watched it, uh, we rented a theater for him to watch it in. He stood up wow. uh, when the credits roll and just said, I can program that movie. <laughs> and a few weeks later, we were in and suddenly you're kind of barreling towards, okay, we've got to get our movie to this. Because the reason you go to a big film festival, hopefully, is because they have certain ones have markets, like smaller film festivals don't necessarily have markets, which means all that Buyers means, don't come. It just means people that buy movies aren't going there to buy movies. And so we ended up getting a really amazing sales agent, which was CAA, to come well, on board the CAA film. CAA and Gersh. And Gersh. And then... The funny thing is, usually at a film festival, you're like, we've got to sell the theater. We've got to have as much buzz going around it. But really what you're trying to do is get the 10 or 15 people that buy movies to see your movie. 
Like mm-hmm. of all the movies, you want the room to also be full and you want there to be buzz, but really it's you're just trying to get those 15 people to and, see it. And Toronto is very challenging because there's a lot of movies there with big, big stars. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot, just more movies there, more than Sundance, more than South by it's it programs like 300 something movies. So it's very hard movies. to get noticed. And it's hard to see every, you can't see every right. movie. even. So you're relying on a whole right. bunch of things. You're relying on your sales agents convincing them to come because of pre- pre-existing relationships. You're relying on, you know, we were literally just putting up gorilla posters all over the festival. So it felt like there was buzz. You're relying on um, sending the movie to, to any reporters ahead of the festival or reviewers. Who want to watch it and write about it. So that those reviews come out right before the movie or right after the movie so that it, right, you're it, on the list of movies to catch at the right. festival. And, and all that is is stuff that you're basically trying to do so that there's a chance you sell it. And, and um, I, I, I've had some friends who basically make a movie and they, they don't really think about the, the sale part of it. Sure. They, they've, they've got their indie feature made and they are excited. To, you know, they apply to Sundance and then they don't get in. And then so they think, okay, where I'm, I want to get into a festival. And so they, they might go to a festival or they get into a festival, but it's not one that has a market. But the festival loves it and wants to program it. You know, sure. you whatever. feel Chicago special, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Not not to pick on Chicago, but like <laughs> I, the Chicago Film Festival doesn't have sales agents going there to buy movies. But man, the Chicago programmer wrote me back and wants mm-hmm. my movie. Sure. So then it's so tempting to go. But if you premiere your movie there, you're not going to sell it there. Sure. You know, and once you premiere somewhere in a country or a continent, you've burned your premiere at right. that continent. So once you're at Chicago, you're never going to be at TIFF. Well, it kind of depends on how you slice things and it depends yeah. on what your prospects are, right? Sure. Like if TIFF has already rejected you, yes. right? Then but, it's like, okay, well, I can well, have my West Coast premiere, my East Coast premiere. So we had a, my, that's that's what I was getting to. Know. Basically, if you're making a feature and you've got a lot of money tied up in this movie, something we did that that we kind of happened upon, but when it ended up being a great strategy, it was on that purpose, I highly recommend. But it was totally a guess. <laughs> um, was some people to, were like, "This is crazy," but you guys are brilliant. <laughs> um, it was, like, was no basically like you know how people when they start making their movie, they put an announcement out, mm-hmm. like they 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 cast the movie with some sort of namey sure, there's whatever a, a deadline post, and, and they put it in deadline. Yeah, yeah. We intentionally never ever announced the movie because we knew. We don't know how long this movie is going to take to finish, and we don't know how long it's going to take to get into a festival. Yeah, there's only we don't so want much awareness f- you can have w- around a movie. Not right? only that, but we didn't want it to feel like old news. Sure. Yeah. So we didn't want someone to be able to Google it. And, and we asked ourselves. And say, like, oh, wait, this announcement happened two years ago. We wanted it to always feel like the movie just finished. So what happened was. And we even asked ourselves, like, what benefit does a cast announcement really have? Like Likes to the movie, on Facebook. Exactly, we were like, it doesn't it's actually just help ego us. Boost. Ooh, it feels good though. Yeah. <laughs> it's an ego boost with no impact to the movie. Sure. So we just said, I think there's also a flip side of like, if you're trying to like say, you know, raise some finishing funds sure. or something like that, and that would be a benefit. Google your movie, right? They're like, oh, cool, some deadline. It's bona fide. There's a you know, would be the flip side to that. Yeah, sure. They, yeah. they kind of I mean, I think the the risk for us just felt like it outweighed the benefit because what happened was. We actually submitted a rough cut to Sundance and didn't get in. Then we, you know, really tried to polish it up a bit more. We submitted to South by and didn't get in. And there were still temp VFX and slugs and stuff in there. And so we were like, okay, we're going to finish the movie before we apply to Toronto. We finished the movie. And we applied Telluride as well. 
Nah. Sorry, remind remind me about in in terms of the uh, deadlines for all of those festivals. So Sundance is first, South by second, is that right? The deadline for Sundance is... Like how much time is in late summer Uh and the festival's in January. Right. The deadline for South by, I'm not exactly like, sure I remember, is probably like It's December. like now, basically. No, oh, no, South by is like it's September, October. Yeah. and um, Or festival. regular deadline. But with say. each one, we said, we just finished the movie. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just a it's week old. rough, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Sure. So even when we really finished it for Toronto, we said, this movie has just been finished. But to your point, the reason we're telling the story is, if you got through all the A-tier festivals... And you've never announced it, and they all reject you, and you come back around. But not, but not only you come, could then start doing the B tier ones that sure Chicago you, you and could like premiere, you've never yeah, announced yeah, it because yeah, sure. no one that, knows that it's not just been created. But not <laughs> only that, if you got rejected from all the A tier festivals where there's sales markets, you could go to sales agents mm-hmm. and say, "Look, here's my movie. It didn't get into the festivals, but no one knows it exists. No one's ever seen it. Right. I want you to be the sales agent." What's our plan for getting it out there, getting it seen? It's still a virginal thing. Right, rather than having premiered somewhere that's less impressive than it could be. Yeah, yeah you can you yeah. get their help in, get, in making a sales plan. That's they, just that's, my advice. They sell yeah. movies all the time. Anyway, it worked out in our favor. People yeah. were like, I've never heard of this movie. Yeah, one, one buyer right before TIFF was banging down CAA's door saying, how come I've never heard of this movie? I have the best tracking people in the business. It was driving them nuts. And it made them salivate because sure. they felt like it was it was a secret. secret. Yeah, he ended sure. up offering us hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy the movie before it premiered just because we wouldn't give it to him. Without, see, without, <laughs> seeing, it. without seeing it. That's awesome. <laughs> Killer um, we should probably wrap up soon, but I want to ask one question. I hope, try to give me the quickest answer you sure. can. But who approached who to co-direct? Like, is that not, was that never a big deal? Well, basically we had done DNA of the project. We just kind of, well, we did smaller things together and all of those just sort of came together naturally. Like, Hey, I'm shooting this commercial. Do you want to help me out do it? Or, you know, that type of thing. But then this project was, was on purpose. It was like, we're both struggling. We both have the same problem. And we knew we enjoyed working together. Like we'd done, we had done at that point, probably almost like 10 small things. But also the big catalyst was, I think we're both individually pretty talented directors. I would say individually, we're pretty poor writers. And so co-writing, because it's so hard hard to write, the collaboration that comes from writing is essential, I think, for both of us. Like, it, it's what makes the product. If we both written scripts by ourselves, which we've done many, they weren't as good as doing it together. And then once you've co-written it, the co-directing is just sort of the next extension of that because you know every beat and you know right, all of right. that. But Would you say that some of that is accountability to a partner and then the rhythms of, like, doing those table reads and all of that stuff. No, I think it's, well, that's, those are very, very helpful. Both of those things you mentioned are very helpful, but I also just think it's, it's, it's the brainstorming. Mm -hmm. It's the, you know, Oh, and and then this scene, this happens. Mm, I don't like that. What if this happens? Oh, what if that, and then this, Mm -hmm. and you just kind of build on each other to make something better. And often when you're writing, you'll be like, uh yeah, this is fine. No, 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 this notice this. That'll be all right. It's but good your, enough. Your partner you know, will be like, sure, no, sure. no, 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 or, or I'll come back to that or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah totally. right. Well, are you guys cool to hang out for some unpaid endorsements? Let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Unpaid endorsements. So I'll kick it off. I've got two. Um, one that unfortunately is Los Angeles only. 
So apologies, everyone. But uh, <laughs> sorry, Zach. I'll make it up for you guys. <laughs> Zach, you've still got time. All right. So um, KCRW, our local NPR affiliate, did a the second time around a tortilla tournament where fifty different Mexican restaurants all competed in a bracket style competition to be thrown as both the either the the best in show or best corn or best flour tortilla. <laughs> it's hosted by Gustavo Ariano, who is a the, literally the guy who wrote the book on tacos um you may recognize him from uh he's in that episode of ugly delicious where like they go to tour taco places anyway i like tortillas you guys <laughs> i'm gonna spoil it for you my taco shop home state one best flour tortilla what? In Los Angeles. What? have they been to el pollo loco <laughs> i've never been there i gotta go i oh. love flour tortillas oh man you gotta go i'm a, I lo- I'm a flour tortilla connoisseur i live off melrose and highland Oh, you're pretty close. Yeah, close yeah. enough. There's Home one State. of the, there's a Los Feliz one and an Echo Home Park State. one. Highland Home State, Highland Park. Pardon me, you're right, Highland Park. Yeah, Home State. It's like Tex-Mex, so it's like they specialize in breakfast tacos. They're great, and also I literally will walk down and buy a dozen tortillas to take home, and then like make tacos for the rest of the week. So it was really nice to know that I'd been spending a lot of money on um, the best flour tortillas in Los Angeles. So. <laughs> Um, but that was number ton- one. What was number two? Uh, well, so they were number one flower. La Monarca is uh, number one in both uh, Best in Show, basically, and also uh, Corn Tortilla. But you said you had two unpaid endorsements. Oh, so my second unpaid endorsement. <laughs> oh, I thought you wanted to talk I'm more about tortillas. So, uh, so my, my second unpaid endorsement. Uh, previously on the show, we had a guest, Jeanette McCurdy, and she reminded me of my, maybe my very favorite birthday boy sketch, which was a IFC sketch show. And so it's a, a sketch called uh, Goldhoff and Seinstein, where she plays a pop star, and these two like '50s style songwriting duos try to write songs for her, but they can't ever write in any other voice but their own. And so all of their songs reference how they are like Goldhoff and Seinstein, <laughs> and like they should be writing a Britney Spears style song. <laughs> so I really love it, and that'll be in the show notes. So those are my two endorsements, cool. guys. Maybe. Good endorsements. <laughs> I have one. Did anyone else watch the Apple keynote today? I watched a little bit of it. I didn't, but my mom gave me a hard time about not doing it. Not doing what? Not watching the keynote. Is your, your mom, mom a big Apple uh, She fan? has some Apple stock, so she's oh, like, yeah. how are you not paying attention to this? I it's own important. this company. Yeah. <laughs> That's well, how good she for feels. your mom. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I watched it at the Starbucks Reserve until uh, Matt called me, because I guess we had a call scheduled at 1130. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they, the iPhone 11 Pro is being released. I'm sure not a lot of people have heard about Apple, so it's really good yeah. that you're yeah. well, <laughs> helping the word get out there. <laughs> so by the time this airs, like it'll already be out and available for sale. But they had uh, Sean Baker, uh, yeah, the sure. filmmaker that made I saw that, Tangerine yeah. with yeah. the iPhone on, and they had the guy, the what, some guy from Filmic Pro, the app. Yeah, the CTO. Okay, the CTO. <laughs> um, and... So you know this, Zach, obviously, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners do already, but so the new Filmic Pro with the new iPhone will let you shoot with a different three different lenses at the same time. You can oh. shoot like the like a telephoto simultaneously in a wide yeah. shot. Yeah, all three lenses because the Pro, the, the Apple Pro, iPhone Pro phone has three lenses: a super wide, a wide, and a long lens. And it also all three at once. Also Ugh. lets you shoot the reverse camera at the same time. <laughs> So you're shooting that's yourself new, uh, and the three cameras. It's a new multi-cam setup. Right yeah. There. I mean, yeah, they're all from the same angle. We're going <laughs> to see some indie films made that way. And it's going to be very weird. Yeah. yeah I like I Sean mean, Baker was trying to like, 
talk about like how oh now i could shoot two sizes yeah. at the same time it's like and you're like no nah, you wouldn't yeah. do that though. you would don't want to do that <laughs> but, somebody's but gonna you, do that but yeah. you would do that yeah. for like literally you could shoot an interview or something gives and you edit somewhere it. to cut yeah so i don't know i thought i thought that was could work for cool. interviews yeah that's cool okay so i am not a self-help book type person I don't <laughs> however know. however yeah, that's what this, we all say this book as we're reading the artist's way called yeah, yeah I've, I've i've read the artist's way my girlfriend's I didn't, her pages just I, I didn't i didn't keep up with the artist's way i tried whatever matt's wife what 1500 days something like that wow. Good job, matt's wife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the book called mindset by carol dweck changed my life hmm it was recommended to me by a screenwriting teacher named Corey Mandel, who teaches oh. classes here in LA. And basically what this book is about, she's a social psychologist who did research on successful people. Mm-hmm. And she has this sort of, uh, you know, continuum in the book where you're, where everyone falls somewhere on the continuum between fixed mindset and growth mindset. And what this me- what this, what it entails is how do you think about skills talents how do you think about why someone's successful are you a great pianist i see your piano over here (laughs) do you do you play piano because you were born with musical talent or that would be fixed mindset or are you do you can people develop any skill that they practice Mm -hmm. which is more growth growth mindset i was raised very fixed (laughs) you know parents always telling me oh you're smart at this subject but you're not so good at baseball stay away from that <laughs> you know basically trying that to filmmaking thing yeah, yeah. but trying to put me in whichever box they thought i belonged in you know some of them were positive boxes but still fixed the problem with being fixed mindset and the reason it plateaus people is because everyone encounters obstacles in life sure and even if you if you think you're good at something the minute you encounter an obstacle when you're a fixed mindset person, it can be crushing. Mm-hmm. You don't have any tools to overcome that obstacle. Uh, yeah, right? And, yeah. oh my God, I thought I was good at this. I thought I was good at acting and I didn't get that role. What does that mean about me as a person? So the right, the reason he was introducing it in a writing class is because a lot of people are taught or told at some point, you're not a very good writer mm-hmm. or, or maybe you're good at structure but you're, not a character yes. right. yeah. you're good at structure but not a character you're a dialogue person yeah. and yeah. so it's very <laughs> fixed and he, what he was trying to communicate to us was you can practice these things and get better and become a better writer by practice well, one is, of the things he says is the people that are really good at structure just keep working on structure because they're afraid <laughs> oh, to try sure. dialogue sure. and vice versa right and so, right, doesn't he try to analyze, like, you're a structure yes. person. I need you to or, just work on dialogue for or the next He month. has, Corey has this thing about conceptual people who are good at structure and intuitive people who are better at character or dialogue or whatever, more feeling the characters. And he makes people cross-train by practicing the thing you think you're not good at. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, just in my whole life, this idea of being more growth mindset oriented completely changed my life so that... And it takes practice to reframe in your head, like when something bad happens to you, it's not about you and your skills and your talents and your essential nature. It's about, huh, that was interesting. I wonder how I can learn from that to become better at this, Right. which is so powerful just in all aspects of your life. 
And so even though it's a little bit cheesy, <laughs> I wanted to share that with you guys today. Yeah. And one more time, what's the title of the book? The title's called Mindset. And Mindset. it's by uh, Carol Dweck, D-W-E-C-K. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. I've always been like the person that's frustrated. When, ever since I was a kid when someone's like, yeah, I'm not really a math person. My brain just doesn't work that way. So I don't do like, you're, are you an English person or a math person? You know, and the, to me, it's always like, well, you could totally be both. Well, I always thought I was bad because of probably how my things my parents said to me when I was very young, <laughs> bad at foreign languages and bad at um, music. Oh, and so I never really right. tried, right. you know, right. but then a couple of years ago I decided, well, first of all, I, I, I spent a semester in Spain and I, I could speak Spanish by the end of it. It's like, wait, maybe it just <laughs> takes a lot of practice. <laughs> um, and then also a couple of years ago, I was like, I think it was Apple, you know, the garage band had the lessons mm-hmm. where you could teach yourself guitar. Yeah. It's like, I, maybe I'll just do that. You know, I bought a cheap sure. guitar yeah. and I taught myself a couple songs and I'm like, I just, you just fail enough and you get to be able to play and a song. And they go a little something like um, this. <laughs> so anyway, it's just like for writing, for anything, I think it's just very like healthy. Killer. Cool. Awesome. Um, Zach, now for the best. Yeah. Bring it home. It's not life changing, but it is something I've been you enjoying. You can't say shot lister. <laughs> uh, play shot um, the do you still want to give out free copies of Shotlister? Oh yeah, we give. You just email uh, just, just shoot, shoot it a pod at just shoot a pod at at uh, shotlister dot com. We'll send Kill you a free it. copy. Um, the thing I've been doing recently, which originally I rejected and thought it was stupid and kind of didn't want to do, and have come back to years later and have actually, actually been quite enjoying it. Meditation. Uh, no, <laughs> is actually that website, which probably lots of people know about. It's not like a hidden secret is masterclass.com. Oh yeah. Oh when, yeah. When I first like checked it out, there was like just a few things on well, they there. They have so many ads. It feels like, yeah, well you're, you're, it's yeah. a little bit of a hard that, sell. That yes. challenging 50, 50. Yeah. I love it. That's and the then, Ron Howard ad. Oh, right. yeah, oh yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Matt always references and no one knows what. That is not true. Like, I changed my profile photo to, to that screen <laughs> grab and I got so many comments. So I ah, sort of in hilarious. the last like few months, I'm a huge podcast guy. I listen to podcasts every day. And then I just sort of, for some reason, I guess I saw one of those ads. I can't remember even who, which one, which person it was, but I kind of subscribed and they give you the option of like subscribing for one thing for like 150 bucks or all of them for 200. And there's, and what I was surprised by, which is the reason I'm sort of telling people about it, is there's like so many more on there than I even ever knew. And I just assumed they had like one writer, one director. They had Ron Howard and, you know, as the director. Sure. And right. then Aaron Sorkin. Is and the Aaron Sorkin's the And I saw the Aaron Sorkin one. That was the one I originally signed up for. And I was kind of like, oh, well, he's just kind of saying like basic. This isn't a master class. He's just sort of telling you to have. It's like a good lecture. Yeah, he's telling basically. you to have conflict in your scenes. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. um, so I basically just hated it. And actually, I, I got a refund when I first oh, asked wow. for it. But now I've been actually just like, there's so many, you know, they've got David Lynch on there just saying wacky, crazy right, stuff. Speaking of meditation. And they have like Werner Herzog telling you never to have a lawyer. And they've just got like, <laughs> like crazy. Serena Williams yeah. telling you how to. And I just finished listening serve. to all of Chris Hatfield, who's an incredible astronaut, just talking all about space exploration. And it's in some ways, it's now supplemented my podcast listening. It's mm-hmm. just Can you like, listen to it without watching yeah. it? Yeah. So you can download them offline and you can also um, hit play and just listen to them on your headphones. And most of them aren't visual anyway. So it's really mm. just sort of like a six or seven hour podcast of someone who's really, really good at one thing. And at first I went through all the writing ones and there was like R.L. Stein who wrote all the like goosebumps. Sure. But I actually found everything he had to say hilarious and interesting. And he was just a wacky character that had, and I, I just ended up surprisingly, it's 
I've enjoyed it more like a podcast from interesting people creating content. Right. It's just it's like almost this. like TED Talk. Yeah, it's like a TED Talk, but they're more personal because they're just sort of sitting down and talking. Um, and now I've started to sort of like Adam was saying, listen to ones that, you know, that I have no... I subscribed because of the film ones. I was like, yeah, right. I want to hear what Ron Howard has to say about directing. But you're now you're like, how and, do I do a great scrambled egg? Yeah, yeah there was ones that were like Italian cooking. And like yeah. I was like, well, I'll just, yeah. I mean, now that you subscribe to all of them, it's like, well, I'll listen to that for an hour. And you end up, I've ended up enjoying it. And so now you su- are an Olympic level uh, <laughs> That's right. Italian cooker. And it kind of surprised me. And so if you rejected it and you've seen those ads and you think it's stupid, maybe it is, but I've become someone who's sort of been enjoying it in the way that you just listen to something rather than like, like thinking I have to do this class. You're not going to, you're not going to learn no life-changing skills, sure. but it's still interesting. But there's fun little details. Like there's, it, there is small things like Ron Howard talking about watching Indiana Jones without the sound and analyzing and how each shot was, was, was actually something I was like, Oh, that actually is kind of cool. And, and, and when you're on a plane and you're seeing other people's screens and movies going by without sound, like you can really, like what can you pick What is that? working and what isn't, you know? And just like, I don't know, they all have tiny tidbits, but if Zach, you give, it's, it's, it's like you found a different important <laughs> angle. If, if you gave up on it, 50, 50, like I did and <laughs> asked for a refund. Exactly. Well done. Um, <laughs> Maybe worth checking it out again. I mean, so, it is expensive. It's like two hundred bucks, but yeah. But there's is that for a year? Yeah. But the main the main thing that I was surprised by is there is now many, 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 many episodes or, or different master classes on there to the point where it's actually kind of like wow, there's more in here than I could ever yeah. watch. Yeah. If you really go for it, it, you can get your money's worth. Yeah. 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 Awesome. I have master class, but I've always kind of been intimidated by the fact that I have to sit and watch you the screen. Watch it, right? But no, you're you saying... Just, you just listen to it like a podcast. That's all I do, yeah, is I listen to it like a podcast. That's what I should do. The main very key thing, because it, it screwed me, make sure to disable your cellular data plan on for just that app. Oh. Because sometimes, even though you think you've downloaded them, it'll you'll kick into an episode be, you don't know, and, and suddenly you've downloaded like it, a yeah, gigabyte, yeah. and you yeah. didn't know. Yeah. So the, pro tip. That's a good one. That'd be my master class about master class. (laughs) Awesome guys. Well, thanks so much. Um, Where can listeners find out more about you both? I'm at Twitter at Adam Stein and at Instagram at Adam Stein. (laughs) I think that's, that's it, right? Perfect. Adam S T E I N. And, uh, I'm same thing. I'm at Zach Lepofsky. Z A C H. Z A C H. And, um, you can also check out our movie Freaks at freaks.movie is the website. Oh, and cool. so if you want to check out if it's playing near you and if you have any other questions, feel free to reach out to us. We love just answering random questions from people. So And the Twitter's the best way to reach out to you guys? Um yeah, Twitter, Instagram. Yeah. You know, Killer. Or email just shoot it pod at chatlister.com. Yeah. yeah, if you want to talk to my mom about a free copy. <laughs> there you go. She'll forward, she'll <laughs> forward you an email yeah. if it's addressed <laughs> to Zach. It's so nice. Cool. Well, thanks so much, guys. We'll have all of the stuff that we talked about on our show notes at justshootitpod.com. You can email us any questions at justshootitpod at gmail.com. We're across all social media at justshootitpod. It's that simple. I'm at Mr. Mabenlo. And I'm at O. Kaplan on Instagram. And this episode was edited by Sarah Weirda. Our producer is Madeline Rosewatt. Our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And the music you're listening to right now is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Desard. And we will catch you next time. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. 
And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.